And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you. Ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for just bringing us here, um, that we can come into this place and worship you and get to know you better. Lord, as you state in uh, Revelation, you say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Lord, we know you want a relationship with us. Um, I pray that you will continuously renew our spirit for you to help us to focus on you. You are a father who provides, the father who sustains, the father who protects. God, you tell us how to pray and you promise that you will graciously hear us, not because of our worthiness, uh, but for the sake of Jesus. Lord, as we learn how to better communicate with you, um, we're not praying that our lives would be less busy, but rather that our hearts would be less busy, um, that we can be still and know that you are God. Lord, we praise you and we thank you <laughs> for all the babies that you gave us in 2022. I, for one, uh, I would love to see more babies in 2023. So, Lord, please be with all the pregnant moms that are expecting. And, uh, Lord, uh, an impromptu one, Lord, please heal Emma Belk's leg as she heard it yesterday. I pray that you will bring healing around that and give the doctors wisdom on what's going on. Lord, I want to lift up the pulpit search committee, and I pray that you will provide them wisdom as they interview future candidates to help lead this church. Oscar, wish that you would be with the leadership of this current church, Lord, um, that you will allow us to make wise choices. I also want to pray for the future leadership of the church, for those that might feel the call to serve. Um, and if they do feel that call, that they will come in and they will serve it boldly. Lord, you're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. As we finish this prayer, um, we're going to finish it with how you taught us. And that's our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. There we go. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer, and now we're going to study it uh, and look at it. I've already said Happy New Year, but I do also want to say Merry Christmas, because we're still celebrating the birth of Christ and what it means that God would send His Son, that we can know Him, that we can approach Him 
as children. As Galatians 4 said, that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive what? Adoption. Adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And so one of the gifts of Christmas and what we just celebrated last Sunday is that we can now come to, our, uh, to the God of the universe as Father and pray. And each day, each moment, God is inviting us to rest in that. As Matt just prayed that our hearts, in the midst of the busyness of life, that our hearts can be in this place of prayer and rest uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, uh, is this gift of prayer that Christmas brings. Now, if I said, if I started off and just said, hey, let's talk about prayer and how good your prayer life is, I think I could have a good sermon built off of guilt, right? If we asked any of us our prayer life, there's parts that we're like, oh, I wish I was a better prayer, or I'm guilty there. But I hope that as we look at the Lord's Prayer today, it wouldn't be something that heaps guilt, but it really would be something um, that as we hear the instruction of our Savior himself, that would uh, enlarge our vision for prayer, enlarge our appetite for prayer, and even the direction of how we pray. Many of you know that I work at Joe Gibbs Racing as a chaplain, and uh, every so often at Joe Gibbs Racing in the fall, guys will get together after work and play pickup football. Well, a few years ago, um, Coach Gibbs actually came out there because his grandsons were playing with us. And if you know who Coach Gibbs is, he's a three-time Super Bowl champion coach, an NFL Hall of Famer. And uh, so he comes out there, and he's huddling us up, and he's drawing up plays and everything. And I remember all of a sudden being like, this is surreal. This is a three-time Super Bowl champion coach, you know, drawing up plays for us. And in that moment, because of his authority and his experience, we were all ears. Because this man knew what he was talking about. Now, let's pick up. And one of my friends picked off Coach Gibbs and high-stepped it in the end zone and thought he was something. So he brags about picking off an NFL Hall of Famer. Um, but that's not the point of my story. But the point is that we were all ears because Coach Gibbs had authority and experience here. Likewise, where we find ourselves in this passage today is that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, on a hill has gathered his disciples and says, this is what it's like to live in my kingdom. In the middle of this sermon, he says, I want to tell you how to communicate to the Father. I want to tell you how to pray. This is a model for how to pray. This is for your good. Don't miss out on this. And so here in our passage, we get that, that Jesus is bringing them back to the basics. And really throughout church history and Christian, disciples, and Christian discipleship, the church is focused on three categories for like basic discipleship. One is the Apostles' Creed getting the foundations of our doctrine. Um, two is the Ten Commandments, a foundation for moral living um, as God's people. And then three has been the Lord's Prayer, kind of the foundation um, for how we're to relate to God in, our, in, our, in relationship, in, in our prayer life. One more football example. After the uh, Green Bay Packers in 1961, they lost the championship game in the fourth quarter, and they came back that summer, uh, and Hall of Fame coach Vince Lombardi brings his team together, and they're really, they're excited to just hear about the few mistakes they made and how they can win the championship that year, but he actually gave a famous speech called, Gentlemen, this is a football, 
And he basically said, gentlemen, this is a football. And he went over just the basics of tackling, of throwing, of catching. Because he knew that if they were actually going to become the team he desired them to be, they needed to be good at the basics. They didn't know the meaning and why they did what they did. And so off the framework of these this foundational basics, um, they went on to win five out of the next seven championships. Likewise, Jesus um, is bringing us to the foundations of how to pray, how to relate to God. Our Savior has given us these foundations to build our prayer life off of. Now, we pray the Lord's Prayer each week, and it's familiar and can often become mundane. But I hope this morning we see that this can be a transformative prayer. This is a prayer that the God of the universe has given us uh, to relate to him. And so let's take a look into that. And really, um, there's so much we could go into. And maybe in Sunday school in the weeks to come, we'll do a deeper dive. The treasures of the Lord's Prayer go deep. Uh, But I want to just ask the question, what if our prayer life went from just a few quick thoughts, some mundane requests, to a challenging but life-giving uh, and, and heart-changing encounter with the living God. So let's take a look at what, what Jesus taught us. And we're going to do that, one, by looking at the necessity of prayer in verses 5 through 8, the intimacy of prayer found in verse 9, and then the transforming petitions that he teaches us of prayer in verses 9 through 13. So first we see the necessity of prayer. Verses 5, 6, and 7, what do they start with? It starts with Jesus saying, when you pray. The Lord's assumption is that his disciples know that prayer is essential to the Christian life. Because prayer is the breathing of the Christian life. I'm trying to look around. I don't see any kids that do swim team. But I was going to ask them. Heather, you're a kid that does swim team. (laughs) What what is one of the most important things that you have to learn when you learn a stroke and want to compete? Good job. Way to figure out the context clues there. But breathing is essential. As my girls have just learned or just started doing swim team, if you can't learn how to breathe in the stroke, you're not going to have much much sustained speed because you're going to run out of breath. You're not going to be efficient with your stroke. And so breathing um, helps set the pace, rhythm, and sustainability of your race and swimming, but it's also what gives you endurance. It's the breathing of the Christian life. Edith Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's wife, she says this about um, prayer. She says, Common sense Christian living takes place in an atmosphere where prayer is as natural as breathing, as necessary as oxygen, as real as talking to your favorite person, as sensible as reaching into the bag of flour for the proper supplies for making bread. And then get this. She says, To live without prayer being woven into every part of every day is honestly stupid, foolish, senseless, and is evidence that your belief in the existence of the Creator is an unsure belief. So Jesus is about to teach us about that breathing. That's what this prayer is. He's going to teach us about the breathing of the Christian life. But before so, he gives us two warnings. He gives us two warnings. He said, when you pray, don't be like the self-righteous hypocrites. Because they miss out on the power because they get the whole wrong purpose of what prayer is. They have no faith uh, in the true God that they're praying to. But also, don't be like the pagans who offer up all these empty repetitions, but they have, they're missing out on the power because there's no truth and obviously no faith in the true living God. So don't be like the self-righteous, but don't, empty, uh, don't offer up empty repetitions 
like the pagans. And even in church, we can do this, right? When we go through the liturgy, we can do it without sincerity, without true faith. We miss out on the power of it. But we can also do it in a more uh, experiential way when we just pray mindless things that are not rooted in the truth of who God is, that how he's revealed himself in Scripture. And I know I'm guilty of this and can miss out on both of, on, on Jesus uh, and power in my life um, as I do this same things that Jesus warns us against. But he gives us a better vision. In this prayer, he gives us a better vision of this God-centered, kingdom-focused, Scripture-informed, uh, Spirit-empowered prayer. Um, now, at North Cross... Uh, when we talk about the mission of North Cross and who we are, we always give you three words. So what are those three words at North Cross with our mission? We want to be loved, equipped, and sent. And as a church, we're um, more and more talking about, hey, we want to grow into that sent piece. We want to be a sent uh, people. And in uh, Jack Miller's book, Outgrowing an Ingrown Church, he makes several characteristics of what a sent church is, but here's three that really relate to the Lord's Prayer. He says, when he sees a sent church, he sees these characteristics. A church that meditates on the promises of God. A church of continual personal and corporate prayer. And a church of gospel proclamation and discipling. And when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we find those characteristics. We say the Lord's Prayer leads us into that. And so if we want to grow into being the sent church, we need to be a, a church that continues to receive the invitation our Jesus, our Savior is making, Jesus is making, uh, to live into this Lord's Prayer, for that to kind of be woven in uh, to our spiritual life. And so Jesus um, tells us what, before, sorry, before Jesus tells us what to pray, he tells us who we're praying to. And so verse 6, we see the intimacy of prayer. As he gives us a model of how to pray, he starts off by saying, pray like this, our Father, our. Prayer is a corporate project. Um, prayer is in the plural. Think about some of the most meaningful times of prayer in your life. And I'm sure there's many where it was just you and the Lord. Even the Lord says, hey, get away in your prayer closet. But I know for me, many of the most powerful times of prayer in my own life is when I was praying with other people. And I could go through a list of those, and maybe we could talk more about that in Sunday school. But Jesus is reminding us that prayer um, is, you're part of the family of God. And it's a, it's a corporate um, project. But he says, our Father. This prayer, this um, um, acknowledgement makes prayer different than any other prayer um it's a christian prayer we're praying to a real god our father in heaven it's this uh, invitation to intimacy to the god who's almighty who's over all history over all time and he invites us to come to him to come near that we have his ear that because of christ we can come and bring all of our wants our needs our desires to him, and he hears us. And who, who does he hear? Those who can call out to him as father. That means anyone who is a child of God can come to him. And who are the children of God? Well, John 12 says it's those who receive, who believe in the name of Jesus. This is a privilege, a unique privilege that only believers in Christ have, that we have the ear of the God of the universe. 
And this makes all the difference. Our Father is in heaven. And if we are going to have intimacy with God, then we must know who he is. Rico Tice, who's a minister at All Souls Church in London, he's also the director of uh, uh, evangelism teaching uh, curriculum called Christianity Explored. He shares this example that he lives in England, and one day he was in a room with Prince William. And he was in the room with Prince William for about five or ten minutes, and it never hit him who he was with. And so he said a few pleasantries, kind of sheepishly put his head down, didn't say much. And then upon Prince William leaving, realizes, oh my goodness, I was just with Prince William. What if actually, if I knew who he was, how would that have changed everything? And he facetiously says, you know, he would have had the most engaging conversation, would have changed the direction of his life. Um, but in prayer, do we really get who we're in the presence of, whose ear we truly have? I beg that we all, I'd assume that we often don't really take um, that into consideration. But that will change the way that we pray. As J.I. Packer says, the vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. And so Psalm 34 tells us that we can experience God. It says, come, oh, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That we can experience the goodness of the Lord in prayer. And then it says that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's a, that's a good thing to know, that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And in the Lord's prayer, Jesus is telling us, what are those good things that we won't lack? What are those good things we need to seek the Father for? And we see these in the petitions um, that he gives us. And so he gives us six petitions. The first three are about God's glory. The, the latter three are about our good. And what I want us to see, we're just going to go through these uh, petitions, and we could spend a lot more time, but I just want you to see the transforming power of each petition. They're beautiful, what Jesus gives us. And that it actually, if our hearts are set on these, um, it, it will transform our life and our heart. It'll give us a greater vision of God's glory, uh, and it'll have a big impact on our lives. And so Jesus, he first says, pray this, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, not hollow, as I've heard it said, which is often how we pray, just throw out the name and not thinking of the significance of who God is and what he has done, but holy be your name, Jesus says. That's the way to pray. Is, God, is, is Jesus telling us that if we pray, then God's name will be holy? Well, of course not. He's saying that God's name would be holy in our lives. The Heidelberg Catechism describes this petition this way. It's asking this, Grant us, first of all, that we might rightly know and sanctify and glorify and praise you in all your works, in which sign forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed but because of, us, because of us, but always honored and praised. And so when we pray this first petition, we're asking that we would acknowledge, honor, and praise God as he has revealed himself in his attributes, in his works, in our lives, and those around us. That is the prayer. It's a, it's a petition that puts us in a posture of worship, at who God is and what he's done. The first petition is supposed to light our heart on fire to desire to see the other five come about. 
It's putting our hearts affections on who God is and what he has done. Um, after college, I was at a church, and the pastor was one of my mentors. He's a man I look up to a ton, and a lot of what I looked up to is just how much it was evident that he adored Christ and loved the Lord. I know one of his daily rituals was when he would get up, um, he'd go on a prayer walk, and really he would just start the first few minutes of his day and each day, he would just pick a different work or characteristic of who God is and just think about it. So whether it was faithfulness, and you think about, God, you are faithful. How have you shown yourself faithful in history? How have you shown yourself faithful in my life? How do I need your faithfulness today? And that would, from that, that would spur on the rest of his, his day. That, that would be like the foundation for which the rest of his prayers and thoughts would come. So Jesus says, um, hallowed be thy name. And he follows that up with the second petition is your kingdom come. What's Jesus saying when he says that? One is acknowledging that the kingdom of man is by nature uh, under the dominion of sin, reigned by Satan, and we need a, a better kingdom, a good kingdom. And Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. And so when we pray that Jesus, that God's kingdom would come, we're praying that King Jesus would reign in the hearts of man, that people would come to see Jesus as king, that his ways would rule in our hearts, and that we would more deeply live into that reality. See, the kingdom of God does not come through politics or community service or education or planting trees. All of these things are good and have their rightful place and can reflect kingdom values. But the kingdom comes as Christ the king is proclaimed, as Christ the king is known. Kingdom values grow out of hearts that have turned to Christ. So we don't bring the kingdom. Jesus has brought the kingdom. We receive the kingdom. And so we pray, Jesus, may your kingdom come. May you turn hearts to you. But like each one of these petitions, as we see more of the truth of Jesus in that, it does something to our lives. And if we're praying that prayer, that should enlarge our hearts to pray for our family members who don't know Jesus as king, for our friends who don't know Jesus as king, for our neighbors and coworkers, for our government leaders who don't know Jesus as king, and that daily our heart will be crying out, Jesus, come. May your kingdom come. May you be known. And may our hearts continue to long for that as we uh, sung in one of the songs, and now I'm forgetting the lyrics, but may we continue to proclaim Christ as king until he returns. And that's our longing when he comes and we, feel, we realize his kingdom in all its glory in the new heavens and new earth. And so this petition increases our heart for evangelism, our desire to submit to him as king and to be a part of the mission of the church, which flows into the next one. And Jesus says, your will be done. Again, one petition flows into the other. If we believe that God is our father in heaven who loves us, then we could pray, thy will be done. Otherwise, the orphan mentality is always, may my will be done, because I'm in control, and I'll get what I can get. But a, a child who knows he has a loving father can say, thy will be done. Your will be done. And when we pray, your will be done, we're praying that God's revealed will would be done, that his commands um, would be obeyed. So this prayer is actually not praying for God's secret will to be discovered or even direction to be shown. So this isn't like a prayer where you're saying, uh, Lord, you know, who could I marry or what job should I take? 
which is okay to ask for you know, discernment there. But in this prayer, we're saying that, God, your ways would be obeyed, that we would trust you as a good heavenly father enough to actually obey you. So give us a deeper understanding of your commands. Give us strength to obey. Like with King David, show us if there's, show us if there's any wandering way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. That's the heart of this request that Jesus, this petition. And so this petition changes us as we see, God, we can trust your ways. Your ways are good, and we want to obey King Jesus. And we, want the, and we need the strength to do so. So those are the prayer, the petitions for God's glory, which moves us into praying for our good. And we'll click, quickly go through these. But the fourth one is, give us this day our daily bread. I usually don't give much thought to that when I pray that, other than, oh, I need God to provide. Um, but there's a lot to this um, request. This petition, at its most uh, simple form, is saying we are dependent on God for everything, for all provision. We are dependent. But when we pray it, what it does to our hearts is it brings gratitude and contentment and even stewardship. Look at the verse, give. It's if right off the bat, you're acknowledging, I am in lack, and I need you, God. I need you to give. And Jesus, a few verses later in Matthew 6, in this sermon, tells us that, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so we, we know we're recipients then it creates gratitude in our heart. In simple ways, but profound ways that can change our hearts. I was even talking to Jonathan Skolrud the other day, and we get together just to share what's going on in life and pray for one another. And he shared he had to go to Europe for business and was flying back. And he was sitting there, and um, you know, they, b- deliver, they bring, brought him the meal. We know how great meals on planes can be. But Jonathan said, all of a sudden, he was just overtaken with gratitude. And he had this thought that, God, you always provide. You always provide. You are so good. And he said the Holy Spirit just led him to this this great place of worship just from a simple meal being before him. And that may seem strange, but really that, that should be the response of every Christian heart. In all of life, everything is God's good gifts to you. Every good thing comes from him do you see it as an opportunity to worship to give thanks that's what this prayer leads us to is as we pray this daily we're reminded every good gift comes from you lord and it also teaches us to be content right daily bread he'll meet our needs not our greeds right he'll he, he creates a heart of contentment as we trust in his sovereign provision and lastly it even teaches us stewardship to come alongside what god is doing as we pray, give us this day our, one commentator says it's our bread, not someone else's bread. Um, and he brings out how Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and wrote this. He says, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such a person we can command and encourage in Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to eat their own bread. The idea being that as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, Lord, I'm depending on you, and now I'm going to go and live out the calling you've given me, that you've given me agency uh, to work and to, and to do these things, but all the while I'm trusting you. 
I'm doing this because I'm depending on you. And so even making this petition, again, it changes the way we view work. A lot of us think through our work we can control our lives. And Jesus is saying, no. Even in your work, as you're trying to make that, that deal go through or as you're teaching those kids, you're dependent on me. I'm the one that's in control, and you need me. And yet also, he teaches us, as you pray, give us this day our daily bread, then move into the callings of life where I've gifted you to work uh, and do that in a spirit of dependence and gratitude and thankfulness. And so the fourth petition, as we seek God's provision, creates a worshipful dependence and gratitude. For the fifth one, and we'll hit these pretty quick, forgive us our debts. As we already talked earlier in the service about forgiveness, forgiveness is essential to any healthy relationship. And how much more between sinful man and holy God our debt is cosmic, something we could never bear, and yet Christ came and bore the full weight of our sin so that we could be forgiven. And each day, we have the opportunity as we pray this prayer, as we think about this, to see the depths of our sins, but be amazed by the unending grace of our Father. He loves to be gracious to his children. And the more you get that, the more your heart, again, will be transformed. Each one of these petitions transforms our heart that we might be gracious, forgiving people to one another. And so, to the degree that we do that, those who are forgiven much learn to forgive much. And that's what this petition does. It creates humility and joy. And then lastly, Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This last petition reminds us that our greatest danger lies within us, and around us, and it's probably not what we think. That our struggle, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness. And in the midst of temptation, God is always faithful. He'll always provide a way out, 1 Corinthians 10. And so this petition is reminding us that there is a spiritual battle, and Jesus is the one we take refuge in. And really, this whole prayer, to conclude, this whole prayer we take refuge in the one who's sitting his disciples down and teaching them how to pray. Because though it is a model for prayer, it's an invitation to the Father, uh, it's the one who's giving these instructions who actually makes the way that we can come with full assurance, knowing that his forgiveness is accomplished. That Jesus is the one who, as he gives us, is not to heap guilt on us, but it's to invite us to something so much better. Uh, it's an to invite us to um, the throne of grace, to, to the presence of our Father who's in heaven. And so this prayer is really a transformative gift because Jesus perfectly lived this out for us. Did he not? He lived the life glorifying the Father, John 17, 4 tells us. He's brought the kingdom, Mark 1, 15 tells us. He perfectly submitted to the Father's will, not his own will, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane with pending wrath and death, he prayed not that his own will be done, but the Father's will. He depended on God for the Father for all his provisions, Matthew 4. He came to forgive our greatest debt, Hebrews 10. And he defeated our spiritual enemy, Colossians 2.15. See, the gospel invites us to find grace and receive mercy in the presence of the Father. And Christ has done it all for us. And Christ intercedes for us, and he's the one who's actually even praying the Lord's Prayer for us today, that we would live in to that reality. And so, final application. 
is what's been weighing on you this week, this last month, this last year, or even just this morning? What has you anxious, frustrated, and confused? Maybe it's frustrations with family members over the holidays. Maybe it's even good concerns with our church and its transition. There's a list of different things that we could go through. Where are you going with those? Are you going to gossip, just to frustration? Where are you going with those anxieties? The God of grace invites you to him, to come before the throne of grace and lay those concerns before him. And even those concerns, some of those can be very legitimate and some could be very selfish. Some of those might be my will be done kind of concerns, and some of them might be thy will be done. But whatever they are, take them to the Lord. And even run them through the Lord's prayer and see what the Lord does to your heart with those concerns. He's inviting you to him. Let him um, sanctify you as you come before the Father and pray the Lord's prayer. And let him um, change you to be the children who run to him in our needs. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach us to pray as your people. Make us to be the people you've called us to be. We ask that you do that for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.